0: Good morning, morning. happy Father's Day, and thank you to all you fathers who love your families and stepfathers and grandfathers and other role models that are in the lives of children and raising um, young people and all. Thank you. It's not as easy as it looks, right? And happy Juneteenth. Very exciting that it happens on a Sunday today, and a lot of my message is going to be connected uh, with, that, with that topic as well, so very excited about that. For those of you who maybe that's a new concept, uh, it's a celebration of when the Union soldiers in the Civil War had last communicated to the last group of enslaved people that they were free in Texas is where it happened, it's all. So, a day of celebration that the African American community has been celebrating for a long time. But just last year, it's become a federal holiday. So. Today, we're going to be uh, taking this scripture a little more closely. Am I too far over? I need to come back. Thank you. And it compels us in this very short scripture, it's easy. To overlook how powerful those seven verses are because the first three are really challenging us intellectually who is Jesus who do you say I am who is Jesus the second one talks about the suffering he's going to be which moves into sort of the heart of the issue you do know when you follow me this is who I am and this is what I experience in terms of suffering or persecution in, in the things of the world. And then in the final two verses, it's, it's a call to action. It's saying, you now will have to pick up your crosses and carry them and bear those burdens with me if you follow me, that that's part of it. So it's in those, that short scripture, he speaks to our head, our understanding, our heart, and our hands, and how we're going to live as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the gospel. By the way, I'm reading from the New International Revised Version, which is one of the approved versions, and we use it in the deaf church. Um, and, I, and I really love it, and it's a great translation for people who are new to the faith, or young, or, or and it, it has, um, you'll see. Verse 18 and 20. One day Jesus was praying alone. Only his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others say the prophets long ago have come back to life. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah, You know, in my experience, how one responds to that question, who do you think Jesus is, is probably the most important test of orthodoxy to the Christian faith. We are a Christocentric faith. We are Jesus people. And He is the visible expression of the invisible God, as Paul writes in Colossians. Meaning that when you see Him, you have a laser on the God of the universe And so everything we need to do in terms of understanding Jesus is going to emanate from that in the context of this wonderful biblical narrative that we have uh, from Genesis 1 to maps. So when we think about the world that Jesus came into, we think about it that he came into a very different environment. He was born to a people, a small group who had been oppressed, uh, had experienced oppression for 400 years in a foreign land and we're struggling to come through. But the reality is his message and who he is spread into a world, a pagan world, much like ours today, where there's hedonism, where there's all this pleasure-seeking, where there's rampant greed, where there's violence, where there's war, that that moved around the planet. Two billion people today claim to to be a follower of Jesus. That's one-fourth of the planet And in just three years, he had that kind of impact. That alone says a lot about who Jesus is. He's exactly who he said he is. He's fully God, and he's fully man. In some ways, that is a question of intellect. It's also the easiest of the three questions to ask. Well, we've had 2,000 years of of figuring this out. We've had it revealed to us by the God of the universe. So we've kind of got that one nailed. That's not up really for a vote in terms of what we think about Jesus. It has been revealed to us. Our responsibility is to understand it and contextualize it and to move it to the next generation. And this is what happened in the deaf world is that the Christian faith almost became extinguished out of the deaf world. They talk about 2 to 5% of the deaf claim a relationship with Christ. And it's because of the fact that we lost a generation and even one generation then that next generation, it just it starts to disappear. Now, the good news is that God is working a revival in the deaf world, and we're very, very excited to see what's happened over the last 20 years. Now, you belong to the power you choose to obey, Paul tells us in Romans. Whether you choose sin, whose reward is death, or God, then you will live a godly life. You make the choice, but you belong the power that you've chosen to follow. You've made that choice, but once you make the choice, you no longer are the one in control. You belong to the power you've chosen to follow, whether that's the world or whether that's Christ. And Jesus strongly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. The elders will not accept Him. The chief priests and teachers of the law will not accept Him either. He must be killed, and on the third day, raised from the dead. Now that's quite a call to these people who are following him and every one of them died a martyr's death. But at this point, they're still hoping that he's going to call in the forces and that they're going to have a new kingdom. So whose we are defines who we are. We think we make that choice, but in all reality, we belong to the choices we've made. And that's what determines our our future you can have two people at the beginning of their life look very similar, and they're moving in a different direction because of the choices that we make. And if we truly follow Jesus, we're going to experience persecution. We're going to experience rejection. But we're becoming more and more like Christ. Now, interestingly, when the Christ comes again as king, listen listen how he's going to be as a conquering king. All right, we're going to get our enemies. And what's he say? He's going to set all things right And he will wipe away the tear from every eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So even in his glory and his power, he is a God of mercy and justice. The former things that are passing away are the things that we are called to resist now on this earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I've been aware of the wrongness of, social and of racial inequities since I was a young child and throughout all my life. Lots of different experiences. We're going to tell you a story about one of them in a little bit. That's over half a century that I've been paying attention and working and recognizing that the, the issues we have, all our children we've adopted. And I look back at my childhood and the police dogs attacking peaceful marchers, working, walking for civil rights. For the right to vote, and I look back at the the horrible violence that was instituted against these different communities of color, particularly the African-American community, mob violence, segregated water fountains and restrooms, and one was right here on 13th Street at JM Fields, if anybody remembers that. And when I was six, years old. We didn't start learning to read until a little after that, <laughs> back in the day. When when I was young and we went in Jane Fields and I went in to get a drink of water. And my brother who's a little older, he said, Bob, don't drink from that. That says non-whites only. And so my mother intervened and said, You go right ahead. Bob, that drink from that fountain and said, People are people, and they shouldn't even have segregated fountains in the first place. So my parents, those little words that my mother would ne- probably never even hardly remember having told me had such an impact on my life. That people are people. And, and there shouldn't be these things that divide us and that keep us away from each other. As the world of Christ gets darker, the light of Christ becomes clearer and bolder. No one has any control over what life they're born into, what skin color they have, what language they have, what culture they have who raises them, the kinds of things that happen to their native language. But these are the things that bring us either privilege or exclusion. Yet that's the very thing that Jesus said. No, my kingdom is that you love God, you love your neighbor as yourself. And he gave the commandment the night before he went to the cross, love one another. I add this commandment. Maria Brown is a a Jamaican colleague of mine from um, in deaf ministry, very close friend for 15 years, different countries, different ages, different cultures, she's black, I'm white, she's uh, Jamaican, I'm an American, she's young, I'm (laughs) oldish, and virtually nothing in common in our backgrounds. But because we have the same heavenly Father, because we have the same spiritual DNA, she and I are much more alike than she is with any of the people who look like her and are in her culture, and than I am than any of the people that look like me in my culture who don't know Jesus. That He is the that removes the dividing wall of hostility and brings us together. Now I promise that there are lots of people in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about who've been in other countries and met Christians there and you come across folks and you think wow we come from such different backgrounds but we just we feel like we've known each other all alike well there's a part of that that's true because you're a brother and a sister and that you have that kind of care for each other The other part of that is that these friendships in other countries especially come as part of being the global Anglican church. Most Anglicans in the world are in Africa, in Nigeria by far the most um, of the Anglicans. And thank goodness that they took us under their care during this very difficult time about 10 years ago. And our liturgy brings us together as brothers and sisters. So shouldn't we hold that same value within our families and within our neighborhoods and within Facebook friends? of the fact that we can be different, but we are called to behave like brothers and sisters. St. Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, that was in our epistle today, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what Paul describes here is that we are all equal before God, because obviously there are differences between us. And and we need to celebrate those differences, but we are all equal before God. The ground at the foot of the cross and the ground at the foot of the empty tomb is level, and that God has called us to love one another. Then he said to all of them, whoever wants to follow me, now it gets personal. This is where it's the hardest one that we have to ask ourselves, you know, who is Jesus? Whose am I? Why does it matter?" You must say no to yourself. You must pick up your cross every day and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. Our actions matter because they are the fruit of our understanding of who Jesus is and who we are. Whose we are. Now Jesus is telling us that there's action required on some level. And we forget that our first move is prayer and how important prayer is in any action that we do. But there may be other things that we need to do. Are we to hold tightly onto our lives? No, this is mine. And just watch it slip through your fingers and it's gone and we've lost our life. Are we going to open ourselves and open our hands and, and let God bless us and fill us and guide us and, and we have this life with him? If we hold on to it, we lose it we let go of it, we find it. In 1987, Kathy and I took a, um, uh, our children, we just had three at that time, we have six now, um, to a brotherhood march in Forsyth County, Georgia. We lived in the next county over from it. Um, and it was a prayerful decision to, to emulate, to respond to the situation that happened. What happened is there was a planned march on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend um, and it was an attempt by some in this area to show unity and peace. That was that was the march, it was not protesting against anything, it was just simply to say, we believe in brotherhood and, and we um, are going to walk together. At that point, Forsyth County was an all-white county for 75 years, because in 1912, uh, the Night Riders which were the precursor to the KKK and, and I think that's the white citizens council before that and came out of that who were going to protect the people came through, burned homes, feared people a thousand African American citizens who lived there and had property were run out of those counties for 75 years well 75 years passed and it's a new day and so this, this uh, karate instructor wanted to have and show that hey we're we just you know that's just our makeup of our county we we're, we're good folks here and they're they're, they're right there a lot of, they are a lot of good folks there but a lot of folks who had a very hateful agenda came in from from outside um, in that protest so they got over i mean i think it was a thousand death threats it was hundreds and hundreds of death threats so he just panicked and said i'm not we're not going to have the march Well, this is about time Kathy and I picked up on this. And we said, the only power that these folks have is the power of creating fear. And if you don't fear them and their violence and their their effort, then you're taking the power out of their hands. And we've got to go stand up for this. So we called the sheriff's department. He assured us it was a safe march and that our kids would be fine. And, you know, we expected it to be a march for peace and unity and brotherhood with that. Well, we got there that day. It was a strange dynamic, and there were about 1,500 people um, who had come to disrupt that march. Um, we didn't know who was who. It, you know, everything, I was kind of looking around wondering. Well, there were about, uh, originally about 20 of us, and then some. the buses came and arrived. There was a total of 75 marchers who were in that, that morning with us. And we had our three children who were, turned out to be the youngest three children uh, in the march at four, five, and six. And so we had said to him before, now you're going to, when you follow Jesus, sometimes you've got to stand up, even if the crowd is doing something wrong, and you're going to hear some stuff, some horrible things that you've never heard before, but this is part of what it means to follow Jesus, is that sometimes you've got to say, you know, this is, this is not okay, this has got to stop in what's happening We had no idea that we were going into such a dangerous um, situation, or we certainly wouldn't have, because what happened, there were four nationalist groups, uh, very similar to the ones that we're seeing emerge now, that were um, inciting the crowd to attack us. So fortunately, they were just throwing rocks and bottles, which wasn't that great, by the way, um, instead of fist, because that would have been even worse. And during that time, we're just in shock. It's 1987. We're thinking, how could this be happening in 1987 that we're being attacked as we're going through this? And we're just singing and walking in in, in this area uh, with it. And so we had three little children, so we asked this one gentleman if he would hold the hand of our oldest child, Kathy's holding another one, I'm holding um, our, our son, and we're knocking down rocks and bottles you know, during this as we're, we're marching. So they had to stop the march and put us on the bus and then went down and then they, they just canceled it um, all in it. But it's difficult to communicate now what that felt like. And I had this image of a fire-breathing dragon because the evil of the crowd was much worse than the evil of any one individual in the crowd. And that's why they call it a mob. That's why they call it, you know, this, this group thought in, in all. and all that's very, very dangerous. And they'd been incited to, to try to disrupt this, this walk. And I think that that's not just an imagery. I, I mean, I really had this thought. I'm like, this is like a force larger, and it's evil, and it's wrong. And it's, it's something that you just sort of get a glimpse at. And I'm sure that's, that everybody who's ever been in any of these situations, in a war situation or in, in these uh, types of, of whatever, a riot or anything like that, has that same feeling like this is larger. This is something evil beyond and behind the individuals of this. Um, so now we see this riot, this disconcerting rise of violence today in hate crime. Um, particularly against African-American and Asian communities. And we have to be honest and recognize that. We have to recognize that this is something that wraps itself in the flag in the Bible. It is neither patriotic nor Christian. And let's be very, very clear about that. I'm not talking about different opinions and, and political parties and whatever. I'm talking about extremists who are doing violence against others on either side. It doesn't matter. But whenever we we turn that corner, um, it's just very dangerous. In our country, we've made tremendous progress. This is better than it's ever been. And, And we've come so far. Anybody my age and older can tell you it has been worse. But we can also tell you it can get worse again. And we need to be very diligent about standing up about what it means and who we belong to and what we're about. We've come so far mostly through the leadership of the African American church and I'm very, very grateful for that. For Jesus is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is scripture. This is the Bible. You are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. These are our brothers and sisters. George Washington, thanks Alan. You sent me a email the other day that had a quote from George Washington. I'm going to quote it. He makes the same point in his prayer. This is George Washington, the the founding of our country. And he's praying to God, dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, to demean ourselves of that charity, humility, pacific temper of mind. And pacific means peaceful in character or intent. He was an Anglican, and you know how we love words. And so... This much of our history we should be proud of, and there's so much we should be proud of. this is a wonderful country. never have so many had so much for so long, and never have we enjoyed the freedom and the safety that we have um, to to live in this country. but we have to also be honest about the things that we wish we'd done differently. I think back in sixteen nineteen when that first slave ship pulled up and into Hampton Virginia, and word to that I can if. Can you imagine if the, if the Christians in mass had rushed out from the churches and rushed out from their homes and gone up to the, the port and said, Stop! These are our brothers and sisters. Unchain them. This is not who we are. This is not whose we are. Let's get the, hold this captain until the magistrate gets here. Now, can you imagine how different our history would have been? So we have a responsibility that if we follow Jesus, we have to be willing to pick up our cross and follow him daily. We cannot live in unity with God and at odds with how he tells us to live. Now that's true of a society as much as it is of personal morality, that we have a responsibility to remember who we are because of whose we are. St. John reminds us you can't love God and hate your brother or sister, that you're lying. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. So in this era of extreme polarization, we share so much in common. We really do. And we, we, we love our children. We care. Vote your conscience, please. Make your voices heard. Donate to the to what you, who you want to donate with. Praise God that we have this right to disagree agreeably but as believers in Jesus being shaped in his image let me tell you we are never permitted to be mean-spirited to belittle to mock to call names this is non-negotiable this is a biblical concept a commentator William Barclay puts it this way often we have our differences with people and it is well that we should But the moment insult and abuse and threat enter into an argument, it ceases to be an argument and becomes a contest of bitterness. If we become angry and resort to wild words and hot threats, all we prove is that our case is disturbingly weak. I want to end with two simple suggestions that are important during these stressful times. One is to remember the importance of gratefulness. I recommend that in the morning, first thing when you wake up, turn your thoughts to God and say, thank you. Thank you that I'm here. Thank you for this bed to sleep in. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you, Lord that you've given me life and, and love and friendship and freedom and all the things that we, we enjoy, regardless of the external circumstances. Thankfulness is the biblical response to, to unsettled world that we live in, is to be thankful. And it's amazing the power of getting our mind around just being grateful and, and how we begin to look at life. The second suggestion, and this is, we're all closed, is that managing stress is, I think it's really important to maintain good humor and appreciation for the simple beauty in life, whether it's a flower or a child's laugh or a sunset or rise, uh, insight from an old friend, or just a taste of good food and drink. All good things come from God. All good things come from God. Sometimes it means simply laughing at ourselves when we do something silly or maybe giving ourselves permission not to be perfect, and that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to get up and thank God for keeping us moving in the right direction and to be careful not to take ourselves too seriously. This is a serious stuff that we're dealing with, but there's no need to start taking ourselves too seriously because there's so much that's out of our control, but there are a few things that are in our control. And those are the things we need to focus on. How do we respond? And I commit myself with you to a faith that lives out who Jesus is, whose we are, and why it really, really does matter. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.